0: Welcome, everybody. Welcome to this virtual login experience. Uh, My name is Rob. Um, You may know me, I worship in the East, and it's my pleasure to bring you today this Good Friday message and the opportunity for us to take communion today, perhaps in a different way than we would have expected. Um, This isn't live. We are going to do a virtual communion. So if you do have bread and wine or juice with you ready, uh, that would be helpful at the end of this message. Can I just say to you, if you are watching this in isolation today and you are craving fellowship, can I remind you that in the Bible we read of many people who met with God in the wilderness, and the Greek word for wilderness literally means an isolated place. Think of Joseph and Jacob, Moses, Elijah, David, Job, John the Baptist, Paul, and of course, our Lord Jesus Christ, all had wilderness experiences. And it's amazing that when in isolation that God broke in and he spoke to his people and he met them powerfully. And I just want to pray now as we begin this time together that anyone who hears this and sees this uh, would also meet with God today and hear his voice Uh, These are very different, changing circumstances, but my prayer today is that you would know the unchanging reality of the unchanging gospel of the unchanging God. Father, would you speak to us? Would you meet with us today? Would you impress upon our hearts the truth of the gospel and what it means that Jesus died for us? And we pray this in his precious name. Amen. Why do we take the time today to celebrate, to reflect, to remember the meaning of Good Friday? Even if it's through a screen, why are we taking some time to do this? And I think the simple answer is that what happened on Good Friday when our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross is literally the most important moment, the most important event in the whole of human History: Something happened there that was eternal in its reach and in its significance. It seems that all history was pointing towards that moment and that everything that happens flows out of it. It was the most important moment in the history of the world. And yet you read the scriptures and I don't think that there was literally a single person alive in the world at that time who actually knew what was happening when Jesus died on the cross. I mean, think about it, across the world, there was countless multitudes of people, nations and civilizations, and they are totally unaware of what's happening at Calvary. For them, it's far away and it's unseen. But then think about those who were in Israel, for those who were in Jerusalem on that day. Think of even those who would call themselves the people of God, the the religious leaders of the day. There was no one whose voice rung out in realization in that moment of who Jesus was and why he had died. Think of the Romans, think of Pilate, the soldiers. I mean, even the centurion who said at the cross that Jesus was surely the Son of God, didn't understand why he was dying and what it meant. And you know, Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 7, Talking of the gospel, he says, We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. Listen to this. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You know, it seems like Paul is saying that the Roman leaders, the Jewish rulers... They crucified Jesus because they didn't know why he came. But then think about the disciples as well. Jesus told them very clearly that he was going to Jerusalem to die. But when it happened, they didn't understand. In that moment, they were scattered in confusion and they despaired as they looked on and lost hope. For them, they still thought the Messiah was a conquering king like David who was gonna sit on a throne. They didn't understand that Jesus was the suffering servant. They didn't yet understand that he was the Lamb of God. But then even think about in the spiritual realm. I don't even think that the devil and his demons understood why Jesus had come. The scriptures tell us that the devil entered Judas in Luke 22, verse 3, and that the betrayer started that series of events that would lead to the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion. But don't you think that if the devil understood that Jesus would fulfill his mission through suffering and death, that he would not have conspired in those very events that would lead to his destruction and his defeat. The gospel was a hidden mystery, says Paul, even to devils and demons. And yet also there are verses in 1 Peter 1 where Peter, and it's the only time in Scripture when the prophets and the angels are grouped together. And Peter says that the prophets search the Scriptures to understand. And it says in verse 12 that even the angels long to look into these things. You know, maybe Peter is saying here that the prophets of the past And even the angels never fully understood what it meant that salvation would come through the death and the suffering of the Messiah. Do you see, the gospel is a hidden mystery. And on that day, on that first Good Friday, the nations, the devil, the angels, all the men and women around, the rulers, the kings, the prophets, even his own disciples didn't understand, didn't know, What was going on? Not a single heart was engaged in praise and thanks. Not a single person adored God in that moment for his wisdom and his justice and his mercy. There was no amazing grace to be found on the lips of a single person. Yes, men and women and crowds, they cheered, but not because they knew that their loving God was winning for them an eternal salvation. But they did so in ignorance, in defiance, in darkness. Paul says in Romans 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God's love is not some intangible, fuzzy feeling Paul says it's a demonstrable reality, something manifested. And yet when God gave his son to die, everybody alive at that time was spiritually dead, spiritually blind, hostile to God. You know, much has been made in the past couple of weeks about how the NHS are on the front line of Corona care how they're risking their own health, how they're serving us tirelessly to care for the nation's sick at this time. And isn't it amazing that we have the opportunity to applaud them, that we get to stand out on our streets, stand on our doorsteps, and we all get to clap and cheer. And it inspires and it sustains them in the most difficult of jobs to know that the nation appreciates the service and the sacrifices they are making. But think of this. When our Savior climbed the hill to the cross, when he offered a more precious and even more costly sacrifice, no one cheered. No one celebrated. No one understood. It was the most selfless act ever. Do you know there's a song that we have been singing in church over this last year, which is called Waymaker, and maybe you know it, and it says that Jesus is the waymaker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness, and it says, my God, that is who you are. And there are some verses in that song that have struck me as I've been thinking about this today, and it says this, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Wasn't that ever more true at the cross than at any other time? No one knew. No one gave praise. No one gave thanks. But a great eternal work of salvation was taking place. And you see, what all this means is that in all time and space and eternity, Only three persons understood what was happening on that first Good Friday. Only the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And they worked and they offered and they sacrificed while all humanity were ignorant and unaware of their costly love. Do you know, I've searched the scriptures and as far as I can see, There is only one verse in the Bible that speaks of the Trinity around the cross. There's only one verse where we see Father, Son, and Spirit all present, all working at the moment of the crucifixion. And it's an incredible verse. It's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Can I just read it to you in context? Starting at verse 11, it says this. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Please notice just half of a verse in verse 14 where it says, How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. All three persons of the Trinity are at work in this simple half verse. And I want us to just reflect on this for a few moments today. Let's first of all look at what it says about the Son. It says the Christ offered himself and his blood unblemished. You see, Good Friday is about remembering, it's about reflecting that Jesus came into this world as the perfect man, that he alone is the only man who never sinned in thought or word or deed, that he is the unblemished, perfect lamb. Remember, only a few weeks ago, we were looking in Exodus at the Passover And how the ancient Jews in Egypt were released from slavery through the sacrifice of a lamb. But it had to be perfect. Only a perfect lamb could be a sacrifice to release them and to set them free. And we know that only a perfect man could offer himself as a sacrifice to God for our sin. Only one who had no need of cleansing who had no need of forgiveness, only one who was perfect was able to offer his life as a penalty for sin. And you know, the Greek tense in the phrase where it says, offered himself, really emphasizes that it was a free and voluntary offering of himself. I want you to know today that when Jesus died upon the cross, he wasn't forced. He wasn't coerced. He wasn't a victim of fate or circumstance. The father didn't twist his arm. Today is about remembering that he offered himself willingly for you because he loves you with a precious, costly, unconditional love. Today is an opportunity to remember that his hands were willingly pierced for you, that he carried the pain and the shame of crucifixion for you, that he bore the curse and hell and abandonment for you. That is why we pause today. That is why we reflect to remember again the precious love of the Savior for you. And the costly sacrifice that he made. But please do notice, secondly, that the Father God is also in this verse. It says, Christ offered himself unblemished to God. You see, God the Father is present at Calvary on that first Good Friday. Jesus, we're told, is offering himself to God. God. Do you know there are scriptures that tell us that in eternity that there was a covenant that was made between the Father and the Son, that there was an agreement, a covenant promise that was made, and the Father laid down before the Son the covenant requirements. You see, God is perfect, and heaven is a state of perfect perfection. How can something imperfect, something tainted, enter the very presence of God? Would not the holy glory of God consume and burn upon anything that was imperfect in his presence? So how can sinners be restored to God? How can we know his presence and his favor? The only way sinners can be restored to God is if all the penalties of our sin are justly carried away. If sin's curse is paid for, as an act of legal justice. If there is one who is willing to carry the imperfection of sinners, if there is one who is willing to offer his unique perfection as a substitution, as a free gift of grace. Do you know, only Jesus was able to fulfill these covenant requirements. And through the prophets, we see in Psalm 40 and This is also quoted in Hebrews 10. That this is what the Savior said to the Father. Here I am. I have come to do your will. Here I am. I have come to do your will. And you know, the writer to the Hebrews tells us exactly what that means in the next verse. He says, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, once for all. Jesus willingly chose to be your sin bearer, to be your curse bearer, to take your death, to take your hell, because that was the required price of salvation. And when Jesus gave up his spirit, and when he declared that it is finished, he was making his offering to God, he was meeting all the covenant commands, he offered himself as the Passover sacrificial lamb to God and you know I think it's an incredible paradox that as the father pours his wrath upon the son that in a strange way wasn't it also true that in that very moment that there was his greatest joy, that his son willingly did his will. That actually in that moment of eternal separation, where Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That actually that was the greatest moment of unity, of heart and purpose in the Godhead. For Jesus offered himself to God. The Father is present at the cross. He is receiving Christ's offering. He exhausts the curses and the hell on the body of the broken Jesus who is lifeless and gives up his spirit. And I want you to know today that this was for you, that he did this for you, that an incredible eternal covenant was made, even before the world was made, for you, because he loves you. Do you know, thirdly, we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9, verse 14 says, Through the eternal Spirit, the Son offered himself. You know, there are lots of verses in the Bible that speak about Jesus in his earthly ministry being strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus is fully God, but in his full humanity, he needed the empowering strength of the Spirit to enable him to fulfill all the requirements of the covenant. And at that moment on the cross, the writer to the Hebrews says, that the Holy Spirit, the eternal Spirit, was with him. And it was through the Spirit that Jesus was able to offer himself. It was the Spirit that enabled him to bear the shame. It was the Spirit that enabled him to endure the pain and the mocking. It was the Spirit that gave him the strength to resist the temptation to take an easier path. It was surely the Spirit who filled him with a zeal in that moment for God's glory and his purpose. It was the Spirit that filled his heart with compassion for lost souls. And notice that the Spirit here is called the eternal Spirit. You know, to win an eternal salvation, Jesus needed to be strengthened by the eternal Spirit. You see, what he did was more than just the mere human work. The best of men could not have offered, could not have endured it. Only by being the Christ, the anointed one of the Spirit, could Jesus offer us a perfect, complete, finished sacrifice. You see, the Spirit that descended upon him at his baptism and that empowered him for public ministry is now present at Calvary, empowering him for his saving work. Do you know, as a charismatic church, we make much of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We believe that we are to live each day, be being filled, that we can only live the Christian life by the power of the Spirit, So even on Good Friday, I think it's important to again remember that as the Spirit equipped Jesus for his earthly ministry, as the Spirit equipped and empowered Jesus to endure the cross, we need to be those who daily rely upon the Spirit, that we daily feed upon his presence, that we daily walk in his strength and equipping. So on that first Good Friday, when no one around had the insight or knowledge to know what God was doing on that day, the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were all present, were all active at the moment of the cross. The Father calling the Son to the obligations of the covenant The Son carrying the burden of sin in his body. And the eternal Spirit empowering the Son to finish an eternal work of an eternal salvation. And this is what we are to remember today. This is what we are to pause and to reflect upon today. That all three persons of the Godhead in unity of purpose were there at the cross. And I want you to know today that it was to save you. It was to cleanse you. It was to make you a son and an heir. It was to make you a precious child of the Father. It was to make you a temple of the Holy Spirit. It was to give you what you could never earn or never pay for yourself, a secure, perfect, Eternal salvation. We want to give praise to our God. We want to give glory to the Son. And we want to worship the Spirit who empowered him to take that cross and to bear our sin and to drink the cup of wrath to the dregs. Let me just read this verse to you again. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, that we may serve the living God. We're going to come to a time of communion now and we're going to share this virtually together. Going to have the opportunity to Remember again that as we feed upon the bread, that the bread speaks of his broken body, which was broken for you. And as we drink the cup, we remember that the juice, that the wine, pictures the blood of Christ that is precious, that is cleansing, that is covenant-satisfying that is poured out in love for you. Can I just read you a couple more verses before we take them together? This is from Mark 15 and it's Jesus in the garden. And it says, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he went away again and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Jesus comes to the hour, the moment where He is to drink the cup of wrath to its very dregs. And in his humanity he cries out, but he says, "I have come to do your will, not my will." but what you will, he said. And we take the bread and we break it. And we remember that Jesus' body was broken upon the cross for you. That he was nailed to the cross for you. And we take the bread and we eat it together with thanks in our hearts. And we take the cup, the wine, the juice, the pictures for us, the precious, cleansing, covenant, satisfying blood of Jesus that was poured out for you. And today, on Good Friday, we take a moment to remember, to reflect, to think, to give thanks and praise and adoration in our hearts that we have a saviour who has shed his blood for us, who has died for us, who drank the cup of wrath to its very dregs and said, not my will, but yours be done. Let's drink together, giving thanks, full of hope, full of assurance, that when Jesus said, it is finished, that he had completed an eternal Salvation for us. Let's drink together. We'll close our time together by praying, giving thanks. Let's pray together. Father, it's a delight in our hearts to take these few moments today on this Good Friday to remember the events of that first Good Friday, to remember that our Saviour died upon the cross and that he offered up his life to you as a sacrifice, as a perfect sacrifice for sin, and that he offered his perfect righteousness that we might be clothed that we might be fully righteous in your sight, that we might have absolute assurance and confidence today, that we have peace with you, not because of anything that we have done, but because of the work that he has done. We look to him. We give glory to him. We praise and we adore Jesus. We thank you for he who is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. This is our God, and we glorify him today and forevermore.